Welcome to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name is Tara Gleason and I am the producer. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the Air Force Officer Spouses Club of Washington, D.C. In this episode, MSEC MSC Sue Lopez talks with Sadie, who's a college student who's been brought up in a military family, about practical ways that military-connected parents, extended families, teachers, school counselors, and peers can become effective allies for the LGBTQ plus loved ones in their lives. And if you're like me and this episode leaves you wanting more, next week we're going to have Sadie's mom, Brooke, joining us on the show. Thanks, everybody. So welcome to the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. I'm your host today, Sue Lopez. On today's episode, we will be talking with a young military-connected adult who has transitioned into full adulthood as a college student. Sadie grew up in an active military family who still currently serves in the United States Army today. I've had the privilege of watching this young lady grow up into an intelligent, eloquent, introspective, considerate, and multi-talented, authentic human being. Sadie is wise beyond her years, as you will witness in this podcast. During our previous pre-interview, I had the privilege of talking with Sadie about practical ways that military-connected parents, extended families, teachers, school counselors, and peers can become effective allies for the LGBTQ loved ones in their lives. We discussed how to empower youth, create healthy communities, promote cultural diversity, and advocate for civil rights. Additionally, we discussed in detail how teachers and coaches and anti-bullying assemblies impact the LGBTQ students in their school, the correct use of pronouns, and how to initiate conversations with family and extended family. Moreover, how to rationalize one's foundational learning and reconcile as a family unit. As a mother and professional, I was deeply impacted by Sadie's introspective bravery. So Sadie, thank you for being with us today. And I was wondering if you could just start by telling me a little bit about yourself, your hobbies, your interests, and a little bit about your life. Of course. Well, thank you for what you said. Let's see. In high school, I was a big theater kid. And before that, I've taken theater pretty much since I was like a first grader. I love to read and I love to write. I love to sing. Basically any art form really helps me express myself, even if I'm not the best at it. <laughs> um, like drawing, I'm not the most incredible, but you know, sometimes you just have a picture in your head and you gotta get it out there. I just, I'm just a really social person. I like being around people. I like helping people and I like expressing myself. And talented you are. I have seen your artwork and just your little quick sketches uh, during our interview. And they're, they're quite detailed and amazing. And that's part of, I believe, your expression is um, creativity and being authentic and just letting it, letting it go and letting it be. So um, Thank you. very talented. Thank you. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about your middle school and your high school experience? In our previous conversation, you had talked about anti-bullying curriculum and programs aimed at increasing tolerance in your schools. And maybe if you could share a little bit about your experience and how those impacted you. Absolutely. So in elementary school, I was in the generation that got the kind of the brunt of the new like anti-bullying movement that was starting to become, you know, a big thing in schools. And 
we had assemblies almost every week about anti-bullying. But because we were so young, I feel like the bullying was so general and so it, it was never really dug into. And so a lot of times we didn't really even understand when we were bullying someone because the examples that they gave were like, oh, you're ugly, you stink. Like, but I mean, when I judged a kid for, you know, wearing the same shirt every day, I didn't understand that he didn't have the money to wear more shirts and he didn't have the money to take a shower every day. And I feel like if more, I mean, kids are capable of understanding more mature content if it's given to them in a way that is accessible to them. I think um, it's really important to start that young because kids can really, really impact other kids. We really form, we spend so much time around our peers that we really form each other's opinions on the world and on ourselves so easily. And I know that my self-image was really, really impacted by other kids um, from an early age. And I think that, you know, as you go into middle school and high school, even then, the bullying, like anti-bullying messages are still very, very general. And especially when it comes to the bullying of LGBTQ members. And I... I faced a lot, a lot of bullying for that and was called some really horrible names. And I never really felt like I could speak up about it because whenever I did, they told me it didn't really fit into the bullying criteria, <laughs> which I didn't really understand. Like, it doesn't really make sense that there's kind of like a spreadsheet for what fits into bullying and what doesn't. Because any type of harassment or, you know, negative impact on a kid should qualify for, you know, a, an authority figure stepping in. I agree. The curriculum can be set, but there needs to be uh, adjustments made to the need of the student. So, yeah, and we need to stop shying away from talking about, you know, real issues. Mm -hmm. We do. So as a school counselor and an ally of the LGBTQ community and youth, how important would you say it is for uh, parental and extended family and peer support for the process of coming out for young students who are identifying, young adults who are identifying who they are and who they want to be? Well, I think one really important step is to stop assuming that everyone is straight and cisgender until they tell you you're not, that they're, that they're not. I think that we kind of look at everyone as a default and we respond when they come out rather than you know, kind of laying down the groundwork of like saying when they're like, I don't know, like 12 being like, when you bring a girl or boy home when you're 16 or something, I, I think it's just important to have those conversations, even if those kids never end up coming out as anything other than straight and cisgender. I think, I just think it's really important to clarify constantly that any, any difference from the norm is accepted and I just think that there should be less of a norm, you know? <laughs> I appreciate um, how you said that, to stop assuming one's identity and giving them the freedom of growing into themselves and learning who they are. I think you put that as plainly as it can be expressed. Thank um, you. Sorry, I ramble a little bit. <laughs> no, that was, that was very, very important. I wrote that down and I'm going to remember that because that's something that we do. We all assign and identify with what we know. And so mm -hmm. 
one has to open their mind to look at the qualities of the person and the, the characteristics that they bring and the qualities that they bring to your life. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that was very well said, Sadie. Thank you. Um, so did you ever have any teachers or coaches or school counselors that supported you in your process of identifying and um, were, was there anyone in your life that supported you and recognized who you were? Honestly, no. I mean, and that's, I mean, I'm not saying that's entirely their fault because I definitely kept it, very much so kept it from them. And um, I, I really isolated myself from adults as I was trying to, you know, figure myself out. And I sought a lot of guidance from my peers and other LGBTQ youth. And there was a lot of fear in speaking to adults, especially so when I was in the process of coming out, we lived in Texas. And in Texas, they were trying to pass a bill that if a student comes out to a teacher, they have to tell the parents. And I don't know if that ever got passed or what happened with that because I moved away before a, that kind of went through. But I remember that really, really terrified me and it scared me for a lot of other kids. And I think that there needs to be more of a sense of trust with counselors because I know because we're minors, they're required to tell our parents certain things. But and like when kids, my friends would go into their counselors and the counselors would say, we promise not to tell your parents. And then right after the meeting, they'd call their parents. I think it broke a lot of trust in adults. And I think that has continued even now. That, that is, that is a good point. So as a school counselor, I would say there are ethics to practice and there are code of conducts that we have to follow. And so right. then it becomes an issue of, a student's right to confidentiality versus a parent's right to know. And right. so administrators and teachers and school counselors walk that really fine line. Yeah. Um, and so it's a conflict of interest. It's it's practice and it's yeah. it's in the best interest of the student. Um, but there there is a fine line that one has to manage. And so you're right. Developing a rapport and trust, but also starting out those conversations with confidentiality and um, rights to privacy statements are necessary because um, we want our students to be able to confide and talk to us, but then we also, as minors, have a legal obligation to inform the parents if, if we see something that is um, at risk. So right. it's a really hard line to navigate. No, absolutely. And I completely understand that. But having trusting relationships and people in your life whom you trust to confide in and talk about the changes in life and expectations that you have, those are important. And and I, and I hope that you had some, some teachers and some counselors somewhere along the line that, that welcomed you as you were. I had an English teacher um, my sophomore year and she was she was always very very open about you know all different types of orientations and all different types of people and she was really accepting and she had us write in our journals and she would read the journals and that was like a confidential thing and so I would write about my experience being gay and she never breathed a word of it to anyone 
Um, so I'd say that if, if I were to pick one person, it'd probably be her. <laughs> and that probably gave you some common ground to stand on in some encouragement while you were in the school. Yeah. So I'm thankful that, that she was there. And like you said, she, she advocated all students mm-hmm. and gave them a, a voice. And that's where we want our young students and our young adults to have a voice. They need to be heard, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. So you had talked about moving around and uh, as a military student. So in all these PCS transitions and these moving around situations and opportunities, what was the impact on your academic achievement and what was the impact on your social emotional health? Do you feel that PCS moves and relocations were valuable to you? I think it was a gift. Um, it was a blessing and a curse <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I got the experience of many different places and many different types of communities and, you know, rural, I can never say that word right, rural <laughs> and urban uh, communities and more accepting and non-accepting communities. I think that it was really hard for me living in California and then moving to Washington, Washington and living between those for about seven years um, and then moving to a small town, Kansas in a military town, I had gone from, you know, a, a performing arts school that was full of the most flamboyant people <laughs> to a place where, you know, if I expressed that part of myself, I was very much shunned for that. And um, it was a really difficult transition for me. And I feel like I, I had to, shut so many parts away so many parts of myself away in such a short amount of time that I still today am having to work on like letting myself express those things that's um that is a process I mean and and every military student goes through that every time that they move every time that they uh, put themselves out there into a new a new school and a new place with new friends I think that is the common denominator for everyone is just yeah. uh, going through that whole process yeah and that is the challenge of of being a military student but it does build resiliency right. and it and it does help you develop and really think about hmm who am i in this world yeah it's it's kind of forced that at a yeah. younger age i believe i mean i came out When I came out, it was when I moved away from Kansas, I came out in Texas, and then I came back to Kansas as a lesbian. (laughs) And there was a lot of backlash for that um, initially. I mean, uh, people that had been my friends my freshman year wouldn't talk to me anymore. Um, Yeah, that wasn't wasn't fun, but I mean, like you said, I got resilient. And, and people change. And of course, they, they expected one thing, who you were before, yeah. and you had gone through this big transition, but they hadn't caught up with you yet. Yeah. So I'm hoping that maybe in the future, you may reconnect with some of those. I you may so or may not want to. Um, and, and they may, as they evolve and grow up and learn a little bit more, reach out to you. So that's that's the hope. So I, I would then ask you, 
And what advice would you give to a young girl, you know, say the age range of 11 to 17, who's learning how to navigate their identity uh, in the context of their family or even in the context of a military community? Well, so this is me. Uh, well, okay. I grew up with my dad being the army man. My mom isn't in the service. And so I can't really speak on the experience of people that have their moms in the military, not their fathers. But for me, there was always kind of this growing up in a military environment. Other people didn't always have the best views and were really judgmental people that were in the same job position as my father and people on TV that were army men and acted like my father. They had these really close-minded and overly hyper-masculine views and um, I guess that kind of created an image in my head of my dad that just wasn't true and I think that we need to have more conversation with our parents on their perspectives because I was too afraid to open that conversation up with my dad for a while and it ended up that he didn't really care (laughs) but I knew that if my dad didn't accept, then it was going to be really hard for the rest of my family to accept me because, you know, the dad is kind of the final say on a lot of stuff. And my dad is pretty much the smartest dude ever. (laughs) And so if he sees something wrong with it, then, you know, to me, there was a reason for that. And I think if your parent isn't accepting and doesn't really understand, I think you just need to give yourself some forgiveness, give yourself some patience, give them patience, and just kind of, you know, take some time away from your family, not physically, but kind of mentally to kind of figure out who you are and let yourself meet people and meet friends that are LGBTQ and develop your own opinions on things because they aren't the final say, even if it seems like it, they aren't. And parents learn and they change and they grow just like you do. And you, you need to give yourself and them time for that. I think that was really well said. Uh, a little bit of patience and grace go a long way as well as mutual respect. And um, I appreciate you saying that in the beginning, you may not have communicated that with your parents. Um, but as you grew in your trusting relationship with in relationships with them, your conversations grew and more understanding and compassion uh, um, took place in your family. And um, so could you tell me a little bit about ways that you saw your parents change? Yeah, I mean, okay, so as I was realizing my identity, I really isolated myself from them and kind of lived a double life. And um I felt like I was one person at home and one person at school. And when I came out, my mom felt that way too. She felt like there was this whole part of me that she'd never met. And, you know, she understood that I was protecting myself, but I know it also really hurt her and impacted her trust in me. And um, it took us a while to not fight about that because we've always been really close. My family was really, really close. And I'd been, it was like a superhero. I had a completely different identity. And my mom, 
she's the type of person that she is either all in or all out and she needs to completely be accepting or there's always going to be like friction. And so she really took time and prayed and listened to podcasts and read articles and just tried to educate herself as much as possible. And then when I started dating girls, she was really scared that, you know, she accepted me being gay in theory, but how is it going to be when I started, you know, kissing a girl in front of her or bringing a girl home to meet the family? And, you know, <laughs> it took a couple of girls to <laughs> for her to warm up to it. But I think with my fiance, Natalie, she she really, really loves her and has accepted her completely into the home. And my dad, he he was kind of the type of person that was like, look, I accept that you're gay. Just don't like make it into your uh, entire identity but I think that he's kind of understood that it's not just an orientation but also a culture and and he's been a lot more accepting of the community as a whole through me I think. I would agree that exposure does help one to adapt and so so important. (laughs) Yeah it is really important uh, representation and exposure and so parents really want their children to be happy. And when we have to rationalize and reconcile our belief system versus the reality, the end goal for all parents is we really want our children to be happy right, and safe in the world. And so I know that was a concern and it is a concern for every parent. So I appreciate your transparency and, and stating that because this isn't something that can be glossed over right um, in this conversation so that that's kind of profound sadie i really appreciate you um you saying that Um, this podcast is about telling stories um do you have any inspirational stories or a message that you would like to share with our listeners sure one of the biggest moments that impacted me was I stepping into my freshman orientation for high school. There were a bunch of tables for clubs, all kinds of clubs. And I happened to stumble across the GSA table, which is the Gay Straight Alliance. And I stepped up and kind of like looked at their stuff because I was trying to look at every club because I felt bad if I didn't look at every table. (laughs) Um, And the girl asked me if I wanted to sign up. And I remember just panicking. My entire face flushed bright red. I felt like my limbs were going numb. My heart sped to an insane amount. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm straight. (laughs) No, I'm good. Thanks, though. And she she told me that, you know, even allies can join and it doesn't have to be a big deal and I can just show up to a meeting whenever I want. And then she put um, a pride sticker on my shirt and I immediately went to the girl's bathroom and just broke down in tears because I had never, you know, had that opportunity for being anonymous and um, being you know, not having to defend myself all the time and having to clarify that I'm straight and clarify this and clarify that and pretend all the time. And, you know, even when I was pretending with myself and 
I don't know who that girl was and I don't remember if I ever saw her again, but just that moment um, really meant so much to me that she just showed such easy acceptance of me and didn't take offense to my blabbering and my, you know, <laughs> my instant denial um, and that she showed me kindness. And I, I want to be that person for other kids that are, you know, trying to figure themselves out and just want someone to be anonymous with and just have an opportunity to learn about the community and, you know, make friends in the community without having to say anything about themselves. That, that is uh, very profound as well. Um, that freedom that you had to, to have that hope for freedom that you could just be without defending yourself uh, is not a privilege that everyone has. Right. And so I know that you, you really do think this through and think your thoughts through. And I appreciate you sharing that as well, because I believe that there is a child and a parent out there that really needs to hear that. Thank you. Where do you see yourself in five to 10 years, like personally and um, what kind of society and world do you envision in your dreams? Oh gosh. Well, you know, for a long time, I couldn't even envision myself living past 18 or living past 16. Now I'm <laughs> starting college and I'm an adult and, um, you know, I, growing up, I always envisioned myself with a man because that's what I was taught to do. I envisioned myself growing up in the church and raising my kids in the Mormon church. And that is not a part of my life anymore. And a lot of the things that I thought would be a part of my life aren't even on the table anymore. And I've had to do a lot of self-reflection to figure out, you know, who I want to be in the world, how I want to raise my kids, the fine line between the morals that were taught to me and the morals that were pushed on me what I want to take from that and teach my kids and teach others. Cause I think there are still good morals that are taught in an organized religion, but I think there's a lot that has been twisted and manipulated to really exclude a lot of people. So I guess now when I picture myself in five to 10 years, I, <sighs> there's just so much freedom that's been opened up to me now that it's almost hard to picture. I, you know, I want to be a scientist. I want to help others. I want to be a part of the LGBTQ community and, you know, help kids that grew up like how I did. And I guess this is one of the first steps. And I want to live in a society that, like I said, doesn't treat everyone like a default until they speak up about their differences. I want everyone to just you know, insert, it's so easy to create like healthy language that isn't, you know, exclusive. It's so easy to say, you know, theirs instead of his or hers. It's so easy to say when you bring a boy or girl home, it's so easy to say your future partner, your future spouse, instead of your future husband or wife. It's, I, it doesn't take a lot of effort. And I think a lot of people just need to realize that, you know, it takes more effort to hurt someone than to just be inclusive. You know, it takes more effort to call someone by the wrong pronouns or deny someone of their happiness than to just let people be. 
And I think people are just putting work into the wrong places and not putting in the time to just be loving and be accepting and to learn and to like my mom, she, she listened to articles. She listened to podcasts. She listened to people. She listened to professionals. She read therapists books. And I just think everyone, even if you don't have a family member that's gay or trans, I think you should put in that effort because you're going to work with them. You're going to, you might have a gay roommate. You're going to befriend them. You're, they're, they're everywhere. <laughs> We're, we are everywhere. And, you know, you shouldn't have to just already love that person, you know, family wise to put in that work. You're right. A little kindness and love and compassion go a long way. And um, changing our, our views and using healthy language and having conversations are important to all healthy relationships. And um, I appreciate the boundaries that you just stated that needed to occur and how everyone needs to take initiative and own a part of this as well that that's very profound again so um, i'm so glad you're with us today sadie because this is really going to speak to someone who's listening so you know in in our our podcast we always want our listeners to walk away with knowledge which you've given but we also would like them to walk away with resources and information so do you have any um go-to resources that you feel every military family and every uh, a parent of a, of a child growing up could use. Do you have any resources that you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, I would recommend the, um, the therapist and author, um, Brené Brown. Mm -hmm. I know she helped my mom a lot. She talks about more than just, you know, LGBT issues, but she also talks about all these different types of complicated emotions and, you know, especially in fi family dynamics. And she really digs deep into that. And she has so many materials. She has like a podcast, she has books, she has articles. She has so, so many resources for people to learn. TED Talks are such a great resource because you can look up specific, you know, types of TED Talks and you can hear from parents and um, children that are that you know sh do share your experience because there's all kinds of people that come up there and talk and it's so personalized and I think people are more open to learning and accepting when it feels more personal and so I know that TED Talks really helped me and I, I listened to TED Talks about you know um, a Mormon mom having to reconcile whether or not she was going to choose the church or choose her child and I showed that to my mom and she like broke down in tears. I think there's so many different types of talks that they give that relate, can relate to your experience. And so I absolutely re recommend TED Talks. That's a good one. And attached to our notes on this podcast, we'll have community resources as well. But those are really personal ones to share. And uh, like you said, you can look it up by topic and, and find anything that you're looking for. Well, I would just want to say thank you so much for being with us, being transparent, sharing your story, and sharing practical ways that parents and family members and, and peers and friends and in entire communities and schools can rethink about how to become an ally for the LGBTQ youth. And so 
that is what we hope to accomplish with this is just the beginning of a series on how to support students and how to support parents and um, to walk this journey together. And so um, thank you so much for being here with us My today. Pleasure. Thank you. So as a reminder, I wanted to talk about the military student consultant and let you know that they are there for any questions or needs that you have at militarychild.org backslash contact. You've been listening to the MSEC podcast. This podcast has been brought to you thanks to the Air Force Officer Spouses Club of Washington, D.C. And don't forget, join us back next week to listen to Sadie's mom, Brooke. You can listen to this podcast and those archived by topic when you subscribe and download at Podbean, iTunes, MSEX, all military connected children by educating, advocating, and collaborating to resolve education challenges associated with the military lifestyle. Learn more about our partnerships, programs, and initiatives at militarychild.org. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram for the latest on our enduring mission to serve the children of those who serve us all. Be sure to join us again next week. Thanks for listening.